Listen, buddy, if you're looking for the Diet Frozen Yogurt Bar, it went out of business last summer. Actually, I'm looking for a Batman number 14. to the Coffee and Comics Podcast. I'm your host, the caffeinated Clinton Robison. As per usual, we're looking at a comic, but this time around, it's a bit of a classic, and double-sized at that. So naturally, something like this couldn't be done justice by just little old me. Joining me this time around is that sovereign of spare change, directly from the Relatively Geeky Network, Professor Allen. Sorry, what was that, Clinton? <laughs> oh, nothing. I, I hear you're, you know, drowning over there. Mm. <sighs> That's soda pop. That hits the spot. So, what show are we doing? <laughs> uh, well, I'm doing coffee and comics. Uh, eh, close enough. Okay, got it. Glad to be here, buddy. <laughs> I'm just, I just live for Stella's approval. <laughs> well, I suppose somebody has to. <laughs> it's okay. She doesn't listen to this show anyway. Alrighty. Well, for the people who don't know, uh, well, I guess nobody knows because I haven't said. Uh, this time around, the issue comes from Super Team Family from DC Comics. For those who are unfamiliar with it, Super Team Family was published from 1975 to 78 and ran 15 issues. It was a team-up series that featured reprints as well as new stories throughout its small run. And when it was canceled in 1978, it was mostly to clear the way for a different style of team-up book, namely DC Comics Presents. Now this time we're looking at Super Team Family number 12, which picks up from issue 11. And normally, because I... that's how numbers work. Like... <laughs> yes, but this you know, seems to surprise you. It does actually, because. <laughs> You know, I assumed they were all self-contained stories. I didn't realize, you know, I was picking up second part of, you know, like a four-part story. Four-parter, yeah, four-part, double-sized. Yeah. And normally I wouldn't give a synopsis for issue 11, but honestly, this time it's just too much of a wild start. But before we dive in, Professor, what is your experience with Super Team Family? This is one of the books that was in a big pile of comics that my aunt had up at her lake house. I mean, super team family in, in general up where we visited for a couple weeks, every, every summer when I was a grown up, she had all those, I think basically her, her theory in purchasing comics for the kids was the bigger, the comics, the better. So this is where I got the hundred pagers, 80 pagers, exercise, double length books like this. So this was all of the family, quote-unquote, books, Batman and Super Team and Superman, as well as things like Four Star Spectacular, DC Special, DC Superstars. And uh, I've said many times before, my love of certain Silver Age sci-fi properties, 
like the Challengers or the Metal Men, my beloved Adam Strange, the Doom Patrol. Don't knock the Atomic Knights either. These are all characters that I met in the 70s reprint titles. They were reprinting stuff from the late 50s and, and early 60s. I never got this far in Super Team Family when they started doing new stuff. So I was surprised, not just that this was, as you said, really an, an epic length story. I was just surprised there was new content in Super Team Family. So I have very warm feelings about the title, although I'd never read this issue until a couple weeks a couple weeks ago. Okay. Well, it sure sounds like a great way to grow up. Yeah. I mean, uh, Super Team Family 3 had Hawkman as a killer ape. I mean, come on. <laughs> I'm going to have to go issue, back and read that. Issue 6, Composite Superman and the Marvel Family. And then the Challengers had a run in, like, issues, I don't remember, 7, 8, 9, something like that. Some great Challengers of the Unknown stories. Some pretty good stuff happening in Super Team Family. Man, sure sounds like it. Uh, and a... not all of it involved Gene Loring. <laughs> Amazingly. <laughs> but otherwise, it sure sounds like a Silver Age dream. I tell you. All righty. Well, just to bring everybody up to speed before we start issue 12. In issue 11, Tio Morrow has turned up on a living planet which obeys his will, and in order to lure the Flash and the Atom into his clutches for revenge, he uses part of the planet as humanoids to abduct Iris Allen and Jean Loring from a women's career symposium at Ivy University. And he gets Linda Supergirl Danvers as an unexpected bonus. Supergirl, Flash, and the Atom eventually defeat Morrow by knocking out the living planet. However, Iris has bad news for the Atom. Jean Loring had another nervous breakdown while there, and empathically hurt by her madness, the living planet threw her into another dimensional world. Now, let me ask you this. Before we get to issue 12, I need to ask you this. Serious question. If you were a DC supervillain, what would your uh, destined name be? Like T.O. Moro. Like, I'm thinking for myself. Would I be like Q.U. Orderbin? Would my parents have named me C.H. Eepskate? You know, I'm not I'm not sure how that would uh, miser um, uh, penny pincher Middleton. I'm, not, I'm I'm just not sure what what my what what my name would be. Would you be S T Arbucks? I, I don't know. Hmm. I don't know. I, I've never really thought about that one. Um, hmm. I, mean, I, uh, I would probably be C F Bean. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. I mean, come on, T.O. Morrow. I love it. That is such a, that's such a Silver Age DC thing to do. Oh, and then the, the costume they have him wear in that one. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and, I never and, knew T.O. Morrow had a costume. I've always known him in the Mad Scientist getup. Ah. And then, of course, when he gets, uh, when he gets a Supergirl as a bonus... I think that's the kind of bonus Dr. Ange would like to get one day. <laughs> Dr. Ange, T.O. Morrow, you know, I'm, I'm sure. I'm not close. saying, I'm just saying. <laughs> Alrighty, well, now that we have pretty much set up what, you know, what issue 11 was all about, 
if anybody could understand that synopsis because I read it and I still can't. <laughs> it, it, it we're bordering well, on Bob Haney territory before we even get started. Well, let me tell you what I think happens in the first half or so of issue twelve. Okay. All right. We've got the Eternity Pursuit, written by the great Jerry Conway, with art by Arvell Jones and Bill Drought. Now, not to promote another podcast, that's even not my own podcast on your podcast, but Arvell Jones was recently interviewed for almost two hours on the We Talk Comics podcast, and it was pretty great. Longtime veteran, obviously this is what the mid-70s, so 40 years in, in the business. ton of stories, again, almost almost two hours worth. So highly recommend it. It's almost as good as this podcast, as a matter of fact. Almost. Almost. Now, for this one, we start in deep space somewhere where three strangers in a strange land have been drawn into a war not their own, a conflict with threatens death for Green Lantern, Hawkman, and the Atom. Now, generally speaking, I don't know about you, Clinton, but generally speaking, I don't like it when characters speak in their own, you know, their own font when announcing their name. But I don't mind it when the narration does that. So I thought this was a pr- pretty cool that you get their, you know, their their logos as part of the uh, part of a nice little double page spread there. I like that. As far as their own font, uh, it, it depends on. The, how large the speech bubble is, but yeah, I, I'm, I'm mm-hmm. kind of with you. I really like. The See, I like I, I like this because it's part of the sort of the narration and the and and mm-hmm. the design. So I liked it here, but uh, we, we're starting in deep space somewhere. Uh, well, what we've got here is along with like they had a silent Thanagarian tracker and GL's power ring. So our three heroes think they found where Gene Loring may be. Again, we can argue, do you really want to find her? Um, but they come under fire by some spacecraft, finding an alien of the Droon race, who says that uh, the inferior race on the planet below could not even defend themselves against the female. Now, this, the female, has the power to tear the actual fabric of reality. Uh, sounds like my wife and maybe yours. But anyway... Uh, but as suddenly as she arrived, the female vanished. But Hawkman thinks she's still there because of his dibbly dupe Gene Loring tracker thing. And also, she seems to be on another planet at the same time in a dimension not far from here in hyperspace. And that means split the party. And that always works. So GL heads off on to the new planet, leaving the tiny tot and the winged wonder to search this particular planet and they're greeted with weapons fire and they fight back by fighting back. Hawkman is concerned that the Adam is getting too involved in this, too, making it too personal. And then both he and the Adam are knocked out on one world. Two heroes have fallen. While countless light years away over another fertile planet, a third hero, Green Lantern, appears from the depths of hyperspace. He doesn't know how, but he knows that Gene Loring is down there. He stumbles into the middle of a battle and quickly chooses sides because superhero? A king of that land explains, quote, 
as soon as that which arrived, unquote. It's kind of interesting that Hal Jordan knows exactly who he's talking about when he just says that which. Anyway, uh, when that which arrived, their son began to grow to disproportionate size. And back on the other planet, Adam and Hawkman plan to escape their dungeon using Adam's shrinking abilities to sneak out by swimming between electrified parts of like a metal grate slash door thing. And back on that other world, Gene Loring is tied to a stake and in the process of being burned. Hal says that that's not really going to work for him, so... But by insulting the planet about this burning Gene Loring at the stake, he must pay in the arena of flowing blood. Well, as dramatic as that was, I'm going to have to pick it up from here and kind of wind things down so everybody doesn't get too you know, worried about everybody. <laughs> Ray Palmer fights for his life, struggling against the current before he can be electrocuted. After a moment, Ray's genius brain kicks into gear, and he shrinks down to a subatomic level so that he can easily maneuver between molecules in order to get about safely. Emerging from the water, Ray thinks to himself that after all he's been through recently, taking out the guards and freeing Hawkman should be simple. Meanwhile, Hal is prepped for gladiatorial combat. His ring has been removed, so it shall be a pure test of swordsmanship between him and Brutus. And and where are they? I think this is... you missed this part. Oh. It's the arena of flowing blood. <laughs> well, I can't say it as well as you. I just assume it was, was Thunderdome. Was that part in your notes? Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's Thunderdome. Two, two men enter, one man leaves. Hal, of course, has absolutely no skill with a sword. So the fact that he lasts more than four panels here is pretty admirable, all things considered. However, as Brutus, not Bluto, Brutus, breaks Hal's sword and prepares for the killing blow, which for some reason takes another four, five, six panels, Hal extends his willpower as far as... You get the as... feeling that maybe Brutus... I'm, I'm thinking, sorry to in, in, <laughs> no, interrupt fine. this gripping synopsis. I think that Brutus thinks he's in a Zack Snyder film. So he's swinging in super slow motion. Ah. Wow. <laughs> Plus, you know, there has to be like the most collateral damage possible. <laughs> but, you know, while Brutus prepares for his close-up, Hal extends his willpower as far as he possibly can and draws the ring back to him. Hal uses the ring to make short work of Brutus, and then he lets Cymax or Simax or good guy, knight, person, whatever you want to call him, know that he may have a solution for their problems and flies off. So and basically Hal said, hey, I'm going to save you guys. Bye. So, I got this. I got this. Yeah. Which is it, Hal? Are you saving us or are you leaving? Hal finds the Adam and Hawkman with some Allurians, which are the people that the Drune have conquered, standing over some knocked out Drunians. Adam and Hawkman rig up a machine that levitates the Drunians off the planet's surface, having figured out somewhere in between panels, that the Drunians have been have to be connected to the planet in order to siphon the mental powers of the Illurians that we have not even bothered to mention. Hal takes his friends and the Illurians from their virtually dead world to Simax's world. The Illurians use their collective mental abilities to push the planet back into its proper orbit, orbit even. It's just good science, Clinton. Yes. It's just good science, okay? 
and it protects their world from being burnt to a crisp as it is being drawn closer to the sun. The planet is saved. And the Illyrians... Yeah. And the Illyrians have a new home. Hooray! Let's celebrate with a snowstorm! Or something like that. I don't know that everybody in the Northeast would appreciate that. (laughs) However, the celebration is short-lived. It turns out that while everybody was focused on saving the planet, including Ray frickin' Palmer, Gene Loring has once again disappeared. Ray can no longer stay strong and instead breaks down on Hawkman's shoulder, sobbing that it's just not fair. And, and when we say when we say you know sobbing on his shoulder, we mean he's actually standing yes. on Hawkman's shoulder. Yeah. <laughs> Adam can honestly say he feels two inches tall because at this point he really is two inches tall. So after that super amazing epic we're going to take a quick promo break and come back with our many myriad thoughts. This is an imaginary podcast, which may never have happened. The Shortbox Showcase. But then again may have. About a father and daughter. I'm Professor Allen. And I'm Emily. Who came from Ohio and talked about comics. Identity Crisis. Lone Wolf and Cub. Hergé's Tintin. White Tiger. It tells of their rise to glory, when the great guests were yet to be booked. I didn't know this was going to be the Jimmy Olsen hate podcast. It's always the Jimmy Olsen hate podcast. And the great feats of editing, not yet performed. Ultraman, this is Ultra 7, this is Ultraman Jack, and this is Ultraman Taro, and this is Ultraman Leo. And this Ultra- of how they spoke at length. When I read a comic, story comes first and art comes second. Continuity is really the brainchild of nitpicking nerds the world over. Those are our people, Emily. And reviewed in brief tales that explore creatively the bounds of a given character's history. Superman has basically the same relationship with Wonder Woman that he has with Batman. Of brilliant creators before their fall from grace. This is the era where Miller is at the height of his creative and artistic powers. And the ability of strong writing would encapsulate and transcend its time. Flash of Two Earths by Gardner Fox. This is an imaginary podcast. Aren't they all? Shortbox Showcase is part of the Relatively Geeky family of podcasts. Check us out on the web at relativelygeekypodcast.blogspot.com or search in iTunes for Relatively Geeky or Shortbox Showcase. And remember, we're not experts. We're just family. All right, we are back. Professor, what did you think of that story? I felt like I was in the arena of flowing blood for most of it. Um, It was very interesting. You know, I want to just propose this to you in terms of, you know, starting sort of thinking about, you know, page by page. But I think we need to just step back and, and look at the big picture here. Just imagine a DC universe in which after issue 11... Adam just lets Gene go. I think that maybe, just maybe, that would have been a better DC universe. My old buddy Ralph Dibney feels this way, I think. Um, I mean, Gene, Gene, Gene. Well, you know. I mean, if if we're talking Lori Lamaris, I understand. I mean, if this is Superman and his one true love, I get it. (laughs) Gene? 
Oh, my. Well, do we want to kind of look at it page by page? Yeah, so I like this two-page spread. Yeah, I definitely. It's sort of the opening, mm-hmm. or, you know, that first first big splash page that we had. I think that's really nice. My only drawback on that is I wish the heroes were featured more prominently. Cause, they I have mean, to have room for the logos. Yeah, but I mean, it really sets up a lot of the background. Like, we are going to put it in your face that they are in space. Right. Which, to be fair, is a pretty cool thing to draw, I think. You know, drawing your outer space stuff. <laughs> I do like that. Uh, I do like that we get uh, a comment by uh, by Green Lantern that uh, from Hal that he doesn't think that the space cops of the Green Lantern Corps are not as well trained as Thanagarian <laughs> police officers. Yeah. I like that. Yeah, that. I mean, I'm, I'm not sure Kilowog would appreciate. <laughs> You know, being dissed a few million light years away from uh, from the main power battery on, on Oa, but, you know, you know uh, Hal's speaking his mind. Well, and that's definitely something that uh, you couldn't get away with these days. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Too bad we members of the Green Lantern Corps don't receive your kind of training. Then there's a footnote, and I think the footnote says, yeah, because Kilowog... Talks a big game, but is pretty incompetent. No, wait, that's not what it says. But I think that's implied. That is implied. <laughs> and then I, I know we had one of your favorite moments here on the bottom of page four. Oh, yeah. When Hawkman shoots the atom with a crossbow. Wait, a, whoa, whoa, whoa. No. Oh, out of a crossbow. Yeah. <laughs> that's the preposition I'm looking for. He literally loads Ray into the crossbow and fires him like it would an arrow. Speaking of Ray, like, especially at this point, but, you know, really throughout the, about the first two-thirds of this book, Ray is a very angry little guy. I mean, if you're angry enough to make to make Hawkman say, hey, buddy, calm down a little bit, you must be really angry. Yep. I mean, you know, Thanagarians are not known for their, like, you know, diplomatic, let's talk first, hit second approach to life. No, that that that's not them. You know, they are swing the mace first, ask questions if we have to, type of people. And if they think Ray's a little over the top. Oh. Ray, you, you just need to go to some therapy. <laughs> that, there are another couple of cool things here. At some point in here, Ray, I guess it is, or someone points out that and we've been doing this for almost 60 days now. And it's a by monthly book mm-hmm. so they are operating quote unquote in real time and I don't need all my comics to take place in real time that can get pretty confusing but if you've got you know one story like this especially if it's out in the middle of nowhere you know telling a story in in real time or acknowledging <laughs> that real passing of time is actually kind of cool I think yeah I agree with that uh, on page eight where we have the flashback to uh, Ray recruiting Hal and Hawkman. Mm-hmm. I get that Katar is not going to walk around the satellite necessarily wearing his harness and helmet, but given the scene, are are Katar and Hal playing strip poker? Oh, uh, if so, Hal's winning. Yes. I mean, you know, it's it's possible. Here's the thing: if you were if if you're Katar. And your costume, quote-unquote, 
is, you know, a couple straps across your upper torso. Why wear a shirt at all? I mean, he's he. This is a man who's all who's always ready for action. He's just sitting around in his costume pants and and no shirt. He can just slide into those wings without having to, you know, remove his t-shirt. Say, it's kind of efficient if you think about it, Clint. Yeah, I suppose so. But <laughs> it is an unexpected sight, indeed. Uh, going one more over on page nine. Crazy Gene is in the house! Okay, um... Is this the first time Gene Loring has had any sort of powers? You know, am I the only one a little out of the loop here? I mean, uh... Powers to convince Adam that she's <laughs> worth all that trouble? I mean, that's sort of a power? No, no, that, that goes with her law degree. <laughs> I'm talking about where, um... She screamed an unnatural scream, and the actual fabric of reality tore. <laughs> Buildings toppling, the orange assailed by incredible mental pain. Yes. That does not ring a bell to me. <laughs> oh. And then she vanishes, so... Yeah. So, I'm not sure... Yeah, I mean, I know we can just no-prize it away by... Well, it's leftover effects from the previous issue, etc., etc. Yeah, I think but... I'm going with that. Though, of course, it is 60 days later, so she's holding on to those mm-hmm. powers pretty well. Uh, okay, page 11. If, if well, I'm now back not... to page 10, okay. the, the start of chapter 2. Just another full-page splash. That, I think, is pretty good. That is. I, I like Hawkman uh, in you know full wing, full-winged mode. <laughs> and, and the Atom, they're both flying down from the top. It's just a cool, I think, a cool angle, a cool composition. Hawkman's wearing his clothes, so, you know, we're all You know, good. change of pace. Sure, there, what the There's heck? no cards in his hand. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, page 11, Ray Palmer doing his best Johnny Cash. He is in a ring of fire. Yes. <laughs> Making sure you could follow that one. Nice. I actually do like, I guess this might be a shout-out to Ben Oda, I guess, that the, the Aliens language font both the font mm-hmm. itself and the design of the letters, I think is pretty cool. I mean, they look suitably alien, and they are suitably alien fire ring guns mm-hmm. in suitably alien language and alphabet. Plus, it's a, it's a little touch that I like. Mm-hmm. Plus, we don't have the ring translating. We don't have right. Hawkman's no gadgets translating. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. The, I'm pretty sure the guy on the right is saying... Uh, we've met her. Are you sure this is worth it? <laughs> I'm a pretty sure. I'm not. I, I don't know the exact language. I'm pretty sure that's what he's saying. But the Adam, as he, he said on uh, page 12, he gets it done. Oh, yeah. He's he's Captain I Ricochet. Mean... <laughs> bounce, bounce, bounce. Boom. Mm-hmm. Impressive. I mean, to be fair, Hawkman beat one guy up <laughs> in the time that Adam beat eight up. <laughs> yeah. Hal arriving on what is apparently Titan. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, for one, how in the world did anybody keep Roy Thomas from incorporating this to be Saturn Girl's Titan? Good point. <laughs> Especially, you know, we bring aliens with mental abilities to this world. I mean, come on, this this writes itself for Roy Thomas. <laughs> Which, you know, if you listen to the Secret Origins podcast, <laughs> pretty much covers exactly. about half the issues. Exactly. 
I I do like that scene of Hal flying in though. Yeah. It look it looks pretty cool. Especially you know he's got his hair whipping back and everything. He's he's mm. not in the uh, ring's aura. And uh, Cymax and his people or Simax or how do you say it? Cymax, Simax. Mm. Ralph. Eh, Cymax. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, they're they're all pretty accepting of Hal's magic ring. So I guess magic is fairly common to them. I guess. You know, I, I, I do always wonder in these cases, like I said, how heroes choose which side of a fight to jump into. <laughs> he just wanders into a fight and assumes who the good guy is and the bad guy is. Mm-hmm. You know, it's one of the few stores where that turns out to be not so good, not so great. Uh, my next note is on page 20. Well, on page 16, we've got just the idea that, you know, Jean Loring is so hot. Okay, here's where you say, how hot is she? <laughs> Jane Loring is so hot. How hot is she? She expands the size of the sun. That's how hot she is. Oh. And I actually liked this. Actually liked this sort of peril for Adam, because in terms of trying to break out of the underwater electrified vault area, mm-hmm. because yes, he can shrink himself down, but the more he shrinks himself down, he's sort of at the mercy of the current. Mm-hmm. Current of the the current of the water, not the current of the electricity. Um, so I actually kind of like that that little bit of a, of a dilemma for him in terms of because he can't just sort of ride the wave because there's a chance he'll get smacked into the electrified the electrified gate or bars. So he has to be big enough to control himself and small. So I, I, I just I thought that was kind of a cool, you know, shrinking power sort of dilemma. I'm not saying it is science. I'm saying it was scientifically plausible, sort of. Well, it, it's one of those things for anybody who says that, oh, you know, you can't write a character that shrinks. What are you going to do? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. There you go. Uh, on the page right after that, page 20, when Hal finds Jean, apparently somewhere in the last 60 days, her pantsuit has become a tattered dress. Things happen. Mm. Um. Well, you know, I guess she might have got bounced around to a banana republic or something between here and there. I mean, Mall of America is a planet, right? <laughs> I'm sure, she probably just landed there. And 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 here we have another chance to rid ourselves of Jean. But no, Hal says we can't let them burn her at the stake. I mean, all you have to say is, nope, Ray, didn't find her, didn't find her. Well, you could have just brought her along with Hal to your favorite place. Say it with me, everybody. The arena. The arena of flowing blood. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my. Uh, Page 21, the shrinking process for Adam. Mm -hmm. That's done really well. Mm -hmm. And apparently Adam does not skip leg day because he is... Definitely um, a squatter. Getting it done. Getting it done. Mm-hmm. And 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 here, like sort of a callback when we get into the arena of flowing blood, uh, we have. Uh, I mean, no wonder how questions the training of the GL Corps, because without his ring, he is in fact pretty helpless. Yeah. Uh, just before that, though, the panel. I like to think top. of that as a callback. <laughs> I don't think it was, but I like yeah. it. The panel at the very top, though, where Ray comes out of the water. 
given the how much of a rampage he's been on up to this point in this issue, <laughs> he's going to go Rambo on these guys. It's, it's not going to be pretty. Yeah. He's going to have his own cave of flowing blood, I've got a feeling, <laughs> is what is why we cut quickly from that scene. Yeah. Comics Code would not approve yeah, of what Ray's about to do. That's exactly what I thought. <laughs> this has to happen between panels because otherwise <laughs> the book would not have made it. <laughs> and I, actually, I, I think what happened is uh, then, you know, in, in the arena, I mean, this reminds me of sort of the Atom, but Ray was a lot better than Hal is here, except for his super willpower power, which is a miracle of some kind. He can summon his captured ring, which I'm not saying is cheating, but... Mm, well, considering Hal... Because he's a hero, but uh, it sounds like something Sinestro <clears throat> would do. Anyway, what? Yeah. Mm? Considering Hal's ring you know, has the... <laughs> the thing programmed into it that protects him from any sort of fatal injury, <laughs> which I'm sure was some sort of thing created by the comics code. <laughs> like, yeah, we can put Hal in perilous situations because, you know, Deus Ex Machina says he's not going to die. Exactly. <laughs> uh, however, though, when he gives <laughs> that left hook to Brutus and knocks him off his feet, that's, that's a pretty good panel. Regardless of how you feel about Hal. Yes, that's bad. Impressive. Impressive. Mm. <laughs> uh, page 27. My note is that um, Hawkman oh, and Adam... Back on that, oh. Oh, but, uh, back on that prior panel. It's, okay, great. It, it's, uh, it is I I interesting to see a Green Lantern on the giving side of a one-punch. <laughs> <laughs> then you need Strange. to read Green Lantern Rebirth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not, not the recent Rebirth, the... Jeff John Freebirth. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, on page 27, Hawkman and Adam, the original MacGyvers. <laughs> because where did we come up with the parts to make this machine? And it just so happens to incorporate Hawkman's belt and Al's ring. Uh, because they realized on page 27 that team is in the title of the book that they're doing. And they also realize they only have so many more pages left to finish <laughs> exactly. the story. We're on page 27 of Super Team Family. They better do something teamy mm. and fast. <laughs> <laughs> but I do like that Carter says, hey, this is not just a personal quest. Yeah, It is for you, Adam, and we're here for you, but we're also going to save this planet. And, then at and I like this electro circuitry stuff. It sort of reminds me a little bit of, again, that sort of that Gardner Fox use of not accurate science or real science, but plausible enough electro circuitry science, something or another. I mean, until we get to the telepathy that moves the sun. Okay, that might be a bit much, but I like there's an attempt to vaguely use a couple of like real world scientific words. <laughs> we before we get the mental telepathy that moves the sun yeah we went through the dictionary and found something sciencey <laughs> that's probably about that's probably about it <laughs> well i did have a note that you know everybody was so jazzed over the snow that gene left because she felt ignored but uh reading back through it apparently gene vanished right after hal went to go get everybody so it, it literally should have been hal's like 
taking Gene with him to Ray if they wanted to end the story, which obviously they didn't. Dames. Am I right? <sighs> yeah. I just assume she left of her own free will, though. Yeah, well, like, well Hal's yeah. going to leave me here. Do I really want to go back to Ray? And, yeah, well, yeah. I was going to say, in about, in about ten years, she leaves Ray again of her own free will. And uh, <laughs> he ends up in the Amazon. But, uh, you know, hey, sure, she's worth rescuing. Uh-huh, yeah, sure. <laughs> oh, no, it's just not fair. <sighs> Overall, though, I have to say this is, you know, as much as we poke and prod, this is actually it, a pretty fun pretty issue. Fun. It is pretty fun. And uh, I know I know I know you've read the one that you've read the two that wrap it up. I've read the next mm-hmm. one with one of my uh, one of my uh, Silver Age guys, Captain Comet. Although at this point he was doing a secret society, a supervillain stuff. Mm-hmm. But uh, Captain Comet and Aquaman joined the search next year because, again, when you think about uh, Captain Comet, the natural teammate is <laughs> who? What? Aquaman? What? That that's not a bad issue either. Well. For those who don't mind a little bit of spoilers, you know, 40-year spoilers, uh, at the end of this, once Ray and Jean are completely reunited, they get engaged. I'm sure that will end perfectly fine. I, you the know. phrase, lives happily ever after, comes to mind. Yeah. You know, nothing, nothing tragic or full of walking on... Brain. Uh, n- never mind. Not the, not the, I mean, like I said, you know, uh, uh, this engagement, marriage, leaving him, whatever, and all of that leads to Sword of the Atom, which is one of my all-time favorite series. And then I don't mind Identity Crisis either. And we can quibble. Maybe it should have, shouldn't have been in continuity. But I, I definitely think. I mean, you could, and you could quibble with what Brad Meltzer did to some of the victims in that story. But he definitely picked the right perpetrator. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm just saying, you go back over Gene Loring's career in, uh, as a comic book a character, and uh, she's not always altogether there. No, she's not. Uh, if anybody knows, I would be interested to find out if um, the characters on Titan ever showed up again. Whether or not mm. they were, you know, you know, incorporated into whatever... I actually think that would be an interesting property to expand on. Yep. And I, I, I like just in general like this or like that would be. I like straight sci-fi space opera in my comic books. So I wouldn't mind seeing mm-hmm. that. The art art is absolutely great throughout this mm-hmm. thing. I don't have anything to nitpick about it. it. Nothing in it really just jumps out as making it better than everything else on the stands at this point, but Nothing says don't buy this. Exactly. Solid stuff. Solid stuff. Like I said, I was not sure what to expect when I opened up this one and thought, wait, this isn't, this is not a reprint? Wait a minute. What am I, what has Clinton talked me into? I talked you into trying to. I'm (laughs) pleased. This was fun. Talked you into a chance to be in the Superman movie and you didn't take it. details inside <laughs> and I did like uh, this this also has one of my favorite daily planet issues I mean first off I can't you can't get enough of Bob Rosakis as the answer man 
<laughs> but I just like the Doom Patrol lives. Uh, you know, bit there about, uh, you know, from the showcase, mm-hmm. from the showcase era. And I do like the uh, the first question to ask the answer man <laughs> is about, uh, has the Phantom Stranger's origin ever been revealed? Mm-hmm. He says it hasn't, and it probably never will be. And they've <laughs> actually, they have come pretty close <laughs> to it, but it's debatable, right? They've given multiple choice. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, wasn't it like four in that secret origin issue? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Man, I just realized, like, three of the four questions have to deal with Phantom Stranger. I noticed that about that. <laughs> and then they just—he was off. the man. Yeah. And then they just go off into left field with whatever happened to the Joker's magazine. Yeah. Oh, it got canceled. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they got to a point where, uh, you know, uh, 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 the Answer Man columns ended. Usually ended with, well, it got canceled, or according to the price guide, <laughs> here's how much your comic is worth. Mm. But uh, for, a, for a while, there was an era where those Answer Man questions were, were pretty epic. All right, so overall, would we say this is a buy it or leave it? You know, it's always it's always a the, the value proposition, if I could put my, uh, my uh, business professor hat on here just for a second is uh, it's what you get based on what you'd have to pay for it. So if you find it at a decent price, definitely, definitely. Double-sized. I mean, if you can get it for under its original cover price of 60 cents, (laughs) I think that's about the cutoff. (laughs) And, of course, it wouldn't wouldn't hurt to have 11, 13, 14 as well. But it's a pretty – you know, it ends up being about a hundred and some page story. Which is pretty bold. Yep. For you know, 1977 or whatever this is, you know, that's a pretty, that's a pretty surprising uh, device. That's not something you see back then every day. And you get no less than uh, eight different heroes throughout yep. it. Yep. Yep. Across them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's nothing to shake a stick at. That's not at all. And you're talking heavy hitters in these. This, this is. Justice League level, so yeah. So how do you grade these tall venti grande? Is that your your grading scale? <laughs> I can't remember. Well, mostly I just say whether it's <laughs> yes or no, but okay, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, th- this is definitely one worth seeking out if you're a fan of DC in this era. Any of these characters, including yeah, Jean Lorraine, she's got to have mm-hmm, fans somewhere. Sure. And and. And I would, I mean, I would say a, 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 any of the Super Team families. Again, I, I, I dig the reprint stuff as well, and uh, the, the Challenger stories they were coming up with before they jumped into this mega, epic arc here. That's pretty, pretty in, interesting stuff going on, in, uh, in DC around this era. I think that about wraps this one up. And we'll take mm-hmm. another quick promo break, and Professor Allen will come back, and in a amazing change of events he'll take a quiz Uh oh warlord worlds a fan podcast devoted to the comic creations of mike grell including warlord john sable star slayer shaman's tears and green arrow i'm darren and i'm ruth
join us as we discuss the stories, characters, and art in the many excellent comics from writer and artist Mike Grell. Warlord Worlds is available at podbean.com and on iTunes and Stitcher. Find us at warlordworlds.com. All right, we're back for the less interesting portion of the show, unless you like hearing Professor Allen being tortured, in which case this is probably the part that you've been dying to hear. <laughs> Professor Allen, as a first-time guest on this show, you get to take the all-time ever-popular, no-one-has-ever-written-me-any-feedback-about-it quiz. All right, uh, where is this taking place? Is this in the arena of flowing blood? Sure, why not? Okay, great, awesome. Alrighty, are you ready? <sighs> you know, it's like I tell my students. When it comes to tests and final exams, especially, it's better to give than to receive. <laughs> oh, yes, it is. Alrighty, so question one: What do you consider your beverage of choice? Doctor Pepper. Is that a mm-hmm. professional? courtesy mm-hmm, you know good. between doctors and professors or yeah. exactly well you know i mean think about it favorite uh, comic book character dr doom favorite podcaster my favorite blogger dr Ange. i mean come on hello <laughs> favorite drink dr pepper there's a pattern there so so we are confirmed dr pepper has a phd and not an md is that correct <laughs> oh no doubt about that Okay. The, the, you know, the the better kind of doctor. <laughs> All righty, question two. Betty or Veronica? Oh, Betty. No doubt. That's easy. <laughs> Cheryl Blossom, not an option? What? Okay, Betty. <laughs> I'm still waiting for someone Sue to say... Sue Storm? Is that, is that an option? Is Sue Storm an option? <laughs> See, I wondered when somebody was getting, you know, cross... <laughs> yeah. Uh, moving along. Question three. Wolfman Perez Titans or Claremont Burn X-Men? Titans. Titans. Easy. Easy one. When, when did the hard question start? <laughs> Which comic book character or series is most in need of an animated or live-action adaptation? I mean, obviously Doom 2099. That's the answer <laughs> to most questions. Although, <sighs> Adam Strange. I'll go Adam Strange. Would you go Adam? Either, well, he's going to show up on one of those of those uh, uh, the Superman prequel shows. There are like nine of them. I get them all confused. <laughs> you know, I would have said Elongated Man, but that's happening. You know, it's tough with the CW-verse. Mm-hmm. It's tough to say, oh, I'd love to see a vibe. <laughs> oh, you know, character. Never mind. Um, I'd like, you know, I mean, they've sort of taken all the all the crazy ones, but uh, I'd, I'd go Adam Strange. Okay. I, I mean, the other one would be obviously, you know, related to Doom. Would be uh, would be the Fantastic Four because they have never, never <laughs> had a movie on screen. Never, it's never happened. Never. So it would be nice if they had one. Question five: Villain most in need of decaf. <sighs> uh, Reed Richards. <laughs> I mean, that may be a matter of perspective. Oh well, everyone's uh, a hero know, in their own story. <laughs> Doc Ock's a little nutty. So, you know, either way, depending on your, if you're going to be picky about your definitions. <laughs> well, they're both kind of mad scientists. You're going to listen to what Big Comic tries to tell you. 
fake continuity. Exactly. All righty. Number six. Who is the best super pet? Ace the Bat Hound. Hmm. All righty. I mean, I'm, I, I am more of a cat guy, but Streaky <laughs> Streaky's kind of mean. <laughs> so I, I, think, I think I'd have to go Ace, Ace the Bat Hound. Because for one thing, if I ever got, you know, I don't know, kidnapped by aliens or angry students, I, I, I think Ace could track me down. <laughs> okay. Question number seven. Can Mighty Mouse beat up the George Reeves Superman? In a second. In a second. I mean, here he comes to save the day. Hello? You ever seen Mighty Mouse duck when someone throws a gun at him? I don't think so. So, I mean, George Reeves is just a guy. He met Lucy, though. I'm not sure that gives you extra power. I'm not sure. Okay, he survived meeting Lucy. That's a great point, though. That's a great point. I had not considered that. I'm still going Mighty Mouse. Okay. All right. And now, what will probably be the question that is essentially Kirk talking to robots for you. <laughs> Would you rather... <sighs> Already hyperventilated, buddy. <laughs> Would you rather have a lifetime of 25-cent comics, but Doctor Doom has a grudge against you, or comics are highly expensive, but Doom owes you a favor? Here's the thing. If Doom owes you a favor, how expensive are those comics going to be? Hello! Boom! So you're saying you would cash in your favor to have Doom lower the price of the comic. Bam! So much for your uh, unsolvable problem. Bam! That was easy. I assume you're going to cancel the show after this. Because I've just I've just solved the uh, uh, Kobayashi Maru. No, I'm just more curious on how Doom regards <laughs> you after having to... Do something for you. Uh, you know, we have a collegial working relationship. That, that's really all I can say. So are you saying I, Doom actually went and finished his education? Because <laughs> remember, you know, he, he left. Um, Dr. Doom, hello. Hello, as opposed to Mr. What do they call it? Mr. F- uh, f- 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 failure? Uh, Mr. What is it? Mr. Oh, that's right, uh, Mister Cancelled Comic. That's that's right. That's what that other guy is. That's right. That's Mister. That's Mister. Uh, don't have an ongoing now. That's right. That's his name. Right. <sighs> Sorry. What was that? What was the question? Um, yeah. <laughs> oh. I mean, just let, listen. Just hear hear me out on this. Latverian First Lady Miss Susan Storm. Just throwing that out to you. I, th- I, th- I think it's a winner. You're sure about this now? <laughs> that, could, that could happen. That could happen. <laughs> All righty. Well, Professor Allen, I appreciate you being on here. Glad to be here, Clinton. Love it. Tell the people at home where they can find you if they so choose. Yeah, you know. Because yeah, they want more torture, I'm sure. Well, you know, most of our work is comic book related, and that can be found at the Relatively Geeky Podcast Network. And that feed includes the Quarter Bin Podcast, Comics Reading Journal, and our flagship show, hosted by me and the talented half of the team, M. That is Shortbox Showcase. Now, I wanted to run a couple ideas by Clinton. These are a couple of shows I'm thinking about. Um, 
to to you know to add to the network uh, uh, to fill it out. I'm thinking about doing a, a sort of a a show that focuses on those big Marvel collections, those big the big black and white ones. I, I think I'd call it Espresso and Essentials. <laughs> um, what do you think? It was just an idea that came to me. I'm not sure. You know, you could go to a slightly younger crowd, a show about like the the more the the, the color version of those Marvel classic runs, uh, Mountain Dew and Masterworks, <laughs> Tea and Trades. I mean, I'm not sure. I'm not sure where I'm getting this idea from. Well, don't worry. I'll I'll, I'll stop by whenever you're done with the quarter bin and rename it to the more successful lattes and leftovers. <laughs> Pepsi and the Punisher. Come on, I mean, I mean, because then look, it's TV and comics. I'm just, I, I might, I might, I might use that. I mean, or I mean, I can sell these ideas also. If anyone else wants to expand their beverage base comic book franchise, I'm willing to, I'm willing to deal. Just throwing out options. Anyway, I mean, I've already given you Doctor Pepper and Doctor Doom. Hello, come on. Again, I would have to have Dr. Ange on as a regular guest. <laughs> Still think that could work. Still think. All righty. So those are the type of shows, and that's the type of content you can expect at Relatively Geeky. <laughs> Sorry about that. Okay. Well, once again, Professor, I do appreciate you being on here. Glad to do it. All righty. And I'm going to take one last promo break and come back with some listener feedback. Hey folks, Nicholas Prom here. I'll bet you thought I was dead or something. Well, the reports of my demise, or retirement rather, have been greatly exaggerated. Joined by my new co-host, Kurt Lloyd, Comic Reflections is back and better than ever. Coming at you from the Island Station Media Lab in Portland, Oregon, tune in for jokes and insights on comic book history as Kurt and I, and sometimes a guest, tackle a single issue from the Silver or the Bronze Age each and every week. You'll find Comic Reflections on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, and Podbean. Last episode, which was the Ultraverse special with Shag, got Twitter favorites and retweets from Dylan Nodes, Greg Arujo, Kirk Spencer, Alan Middleton, this episode's guest, Michael K. Wheeler, Mike Garvey, Malibu Comics, which is a fan Twitter, I believe, but still, hey, Malibu Comics. Uh, fan Holes Podcast, Joe Crawford, Jeff and Rick Present, David Ace Gutierrez, Scott X, Laurel, which is Mountain Flower, Comics in the Golden Age, Longbox Crusade, Charlton Hero, Professor Frenzy, Robbie Rowe, Kent Holtzhauser of the... Uh, comic The Quick and the Dad. I suggest everybody check that out. Uh, Warlock Thanos Podcast. Secret Wars and Beyond Podcast. Collected Edition. Jared Albrick, the yard sale artist, who has a comic out right now called uh, Hamilton vs. Burr, Werewolf Tale. Dr. Ange. Gal Walks Into a Comic Shop, which is a new podcast I've been turned on to. Somebody should really check that one out, too. Uh, Trekker Talk, the podcast chronicling the adventures of Mercy St. Clair. DS and RS, which is Darren and Ruth Sutherland. Chris of Bat Books for Beginners. 
Paul Hicks, who's currently under the name Let's Talk Paramecium, Frank Boyd, that episode's guest Shag, Connell, and Wolfgang Von Hallard. On Facebook, we got likes and shares from Alan Middleton, Gene Hendricks, Mike Peacock, Pat Sampson, Al Sedano, Ruth and Darren Sutherland, The Irredeemable Shag, Dean Compton, Paul Hicks, and Comic Reviews by Walt. We had people who were fans of the Ultraverse and were happy to see somebody actually talking about it. We had people who had never really followed or possibly even heard of the Ultraverse and were interested to see where we went with it. And then there were the people who couldn't really get past the writer of those stories. And I can understand that. So, you know, everybody, you do you. So, uh, we did have a little bit more direct feedback, though, on a few things. Um, Sean Ross of the um, Secret Wars and Beyond podcast said he was kind of new to the Ultraverse and very interested to see what else was out there. I don't think we really turned him on much with Prime and Solitaire, but the idea of James Robinson writing Firearm, he was all for that. And Professor Allen of the Relatively Geeky Network, he said that he loves talking ape stories. And the comic wasn't that bad either. Wait a minute. But I believe that will do it for us this time around, folks. Uh, just remember, you can always tune in here, send me some feedback, I'll read it on the air, because I love getting feedback from you people and telling me what you like. So until next time, this is the place where the comics are never too old and the coffee is never too cold. This has been a Coffee and Comics production. All material referenced herein is copyright the respective owners and is believed covered under fair use. Feedback can be left by emailing coffeeandcomicspodcast at gmail.com, visiting the website at coffeeandcomicspodcast.blogspot.com, or on Twitter at coffeecomicsblg. Skype, Skype, end, end call, end <laughs> call.